Lord, you are good, and that's our only hope. We know that you're God, we know that you're mighty and awesome and powerful, but the fact that you're good is what gives us hope today, that you love us, that you know us and you pursue us when we are not worth pursuing. You are a good God, and we praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and made yourself known to us, you died for us, and you rose, and now you sit at the right hand of the Father. So speak to us, Lord Jesus. May your word come to life. To the greatness of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm all alone, except for the keyboard lady. Okay. It's okay. We'll not pay any attention as you... Hi, PBC. Good to be with you. Yes, thank you. You know, I was here, I forget when I was here last, but uh, it, I think it was a holiday weekend. I think there was like seven of us here, and uh, it, there just wasn't a lot of response. So I'm thrilled that someone said hi back to me today. Anybody here a native of Arizona? Anybody a native? Now, what that means is you were born here, right? Okay, good. So you have valley fever in you. You know that. It, you can't help it. It's in you. I'm a native. Uh, met my sweetheart, Margie, who uh, was a... Theta at ASU. I was in the SIGEP frat and uh, fell in love with this cute brunette nursing student. And then uh, Jesus grabbed us both. And uh, we've been together now for 45 years. That's right. We got married at seven. It was a planned marriage. Yeah. They're all doing the math on me right now, aren't they? That's right. How does he stand up there? He's so old. How does he do it? So I did pastoral ministry for about 40 years and uh, in the East, in Baltimore and Pennsylvania and then here in the Valley, I planted a church up on Carefree Highway and I uh, just retired from that ministry of uh, 18 years. So now I am have Bible well preached and uh, having a lot of fun. And Tim has been a longtime friend. He did our men's retreat for us. He's preached at Desert View for us and... Uh, I've just had a delight watching him grow uh, this wonderful fellowship. The Bonhoeffer Project, if you have superhuman vision, you can see it's on my shirt here. But uh, our thing is we turn leaders into disciple makers. It's interesting that Jesus, uh, at the end of the gospel, said, uh, I want you to go and plant churches. Is that what he told him in Matthew 28? No. I want you to go and make religious organizations. I want you to go and feed the poor. Not a bad thing. But his last word was, I want you to go and make disciples. And uh, we've had 2,000 years to kind of get away from the original recipe. And so part of what we do in the Bonhoeffer Project is help leaders get back to that basic fundamental call to make disciples. And so that's a wrestling with what's the gospel, what is a disciple, what does it look like, how do I make one? And uh, we're having a lot of fun doing that. And Tim has been part of that as well, so... All right, let's jump into Psalm 2 together as we have our Summer of Psalm series. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, uh, Some scholars think that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 may have been just one psalm together, but it it fits for me. Psalm 1 is so rich in the centrality of the Word of God and the The destiny of the wicked versus those who who know God, who are called the righteous. Yes, amen. That's right. 
and uh, Psalm 2, it seems to be a different kind of picture. In fact, you have these, you have these four scenes. So I thought we'd, let's just walk through it, and then we'll go back and uh, see what the Lord might be saying to you and me through this. Psalm 2, this is New American Standard. Why are the nations, the peoples, in an uproar? Why are they devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart. Let's cast away their cords from us. That's the situation in the world. This psalm was probably written about 1000 B.C., it was a coronation psalm, so David and the kings of David, this is a psalm that was read as they uh, were installed as the new king. If you know anything about that early time in human history, it was a wild time. And uh, whoever had the biggest and baddest army was in charge. And so you were constantly uh, looking out for who, what marauding group, what nation was coming to take over, to overrun you. And so enemies was a reality on a daily basis. So this is a picture for uh, the nations. Uh, the king is there anointed and the nations are not happy. If you know the history of Israel, they were never a popular peoples as God moved them into their promised land. They had enemies all the time. Still to this day, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That little bit of real estate and all these Arab nations and they all want that. And the only explanation is that they are God's people and there is a dark spirit behind those other nations that says they must be destroyed. It's, it's been the way from the days of Abraham and it will be until Christ returns. This is also a picture though of uh, today. Uh, we live in an age of rebellion. We'll, we'll come back to that. Let's keep going. This, this is good. I don't want you to fall asleep, so. Scene one, description of the nations. We don't want God's rule. We don't want God's anointed to tell us how to live. We don't want God's word. Scene two, now the camera moves from the nations to the heavens. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He mocks them. It's a derisive term. It says he, he, he scoffs. At them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, this is God Almighty. We, we know now the triune God from our New Testament uh, enlightenment, so we know it's Father, Son, and Spirit. So this is the Father saying, As for me, I have installed, I have consecrated, I have established my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now this was a truth for the time of David and the kings and David's lineage, but you and I looking at this through the lens of the New Testament, we say, that sounds a lot like Jesus. And that's what this is. This is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that, that spoke truth in 1000 BC, and it's a psalm that speaks truth in the time of Christ, and it will continue to speak down through the ages until he returns. As for me, uh, nations, I have installed my king. It's not a democracy in the scriptures. Did you notice that? God doesn't ask, okay, let's take a vote, nations. Who do you want to rule you? I'm God, you're not, and I've installed my king. That's his attitude. He's my uh, anointed one, and I put him on Zion, my holy mountain. That's a picture of where God lives in the heavenlies as well as Jerusalem. Now, that's scene two. 
couple things we, we don't want to miss. We'll come back there. Scene three. Now the anointed one speaks, all right? So we had the, uh, the narrator, as it was, saying, here's the condition. The nations are not happy with God's anointed. Then we have the scene in the heavenlies, God speaks. Now scene three, the anointed one speaks. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. So this would be the king speaking, but we so clearly see Christ here, don't we? I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession and you shall break them with a rod of iron, shatter them like earthenware. That's the promise of the father to his anointed one, the son. That was a bold word that the king declared to the nations, God is with me, if you attack me, I will shatter you like pottery. And now we come back uh, to the narrator again. The Holy Spirit, we could say, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings... You've heard from God Almighty. You've heard from his anointed one he's established. So here's what you need to know. Now, therefore, kings, show discernment. That's a lousy translation. I think it should be more like, wise up. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage. Literally, your translation might say in the margins, kiss the sun. That's what you do with the sovereign one, right? You come and you kneel before him and he extends his hand and you kiss his ring. Kiss the son, pay homage. Why? That he not become angry and you perish in the way. His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's just pray again for a minute. Father, uh, this is an ancient uh, bit of poetry an ancient coronation song, and yet it's in your book. And you have assured us that all scripture is inspired and that it has benefit for me to mature me, to encourage me, to convict me, to instruct me. So the only problem is me. God, open my ears, open my eyes, soften my heart to the word that you would have for me. Let me not miss this opportunity before you. To the greatness of the Son, the anointed one, Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's go back to scene one, all right? The nations in an uproar, vainly saying, we don't want God's direction. And as we come to our time in history, we live in a rebellious age. I mean, we had fires in our cities last summer saying we're in rebellion against authority. We're in rebellion against the police. We're in rebellion against the government. And all through history, rebellion is a regular response of people to leadership. Some of you have experienced that in the workplace. How many of you own a business or are in charge of people, manage people? Anybody here manage people you're in charge? Oh, we're all plebes here. Okay, well, if, if you were, you would regularly experience the rebellion of your people. They don't like the benefits. They don't like the work hours. They don't like their office. They don't like that they're not getting to do what she gets to do. There's just something in us that rebels against authority. It's part of our fallen sin nature. 
It's what happened back in Genesis 3 when the whole race, the whole human race uh, twisted and bent. And it bent away from God and it, it bent into itself. So now it's all about me. And so the response to the world when the world doesn't understand that it's all about me is anger, rebellion. So this, this situation with the nations is nothing new, and, and we see it today. I mean, our culture has been in rebellion against God's design for marriage. Our culture's in rebellion about God's design for the sexes. What is a man? What is a woman? Now, race is the new idol. Whatever you do, don't be called a racist. That's the greatest evil. That's the new idol of our culture. And so we're always, as a people, in rebellion to authority and the idea that Christians, Christians, would hang on to this archaic truth and dare to say God has spoken to us through this and, and God's commands bless my life and you would be wise to follow them. Oh, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. So it's an interesting day to be a follower of Jesus. It's a day that's going to require some courage going to require community. We're going to need to walk with Jesus together because our culture is going to be opposed to us. They're going to mock us. They're going to say, we don't want any of those old-fashioned biblical values on our life. And so it's, it's a time to challenge us and think, well, how do I engage a culture that's not friendly, that's like these nations saying, we want to throw off any old Christian values as a people. There are folks in leadership now in our nation that would say that's the case, that those old Christian values are archaic, uh, narrow-minded, and uh, hurtful, actually, they would suggest. The thing I want you to remember before we get uh, in our high religious horse here, if you can, uh, flip over to Psalm 14. The rebel isn't just out there. The rebel is right in here. There's a little rebel in you. Just takes the right authoritative button to be pushed. The Bible says it like this. The fool says in his heart, Psalm 14, there is no God. They're corrupt. They've committed abominable deeds. And then it makes this blanket full arch statement, there's no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there's any who understand, any who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. These, this is the very uh, statement that Paul grabs and puts in the opening chapters of the book of Romans. Remember Romans chapter three. There's no one who seeks God. None of us really want God. We would like the blessings of God, but then we want God to leave us alone. And so what religion is, religion in all its many forms on this planet, is man's attempt to make God in his own image so he can control him or appease him. That's what religion is doing. Religion says we can control God or we can appease God. Christianity is the only religion that says God pursues you and dies for you so that out of love you want to follow him. Religion doesn't know about that because religion says that's a little too wild and out there. I want a God I can control. What does he want from me? I'll give him that and then I want him to leave me alone. 
The truth is there's no one that wants God. In fact, you didn't want Jesus until Jesus wanted you. You weren't interested in Jesus until Jesus was interested in you. Jesus initiates your interest. Faith is his gift to you. You were dead without Christ. Ephesians 2, right? You were dead in your sins, your trespasses, but God, I love that verse, but God, being rich in mercy, caused you to be born again. God's not looking for religious performers that can impress him with their righteous acts. God's looking for sinners, for little rebels who are honest enough to say, I am so lost. I am so in need of a God that might love me and lead me. That's who Jesus looks for. Rebels like you and me. All right, let's go back to Psalm 2. The next scene, the God who laughs. I've installed my king upon the holy hill. It's done. There's a sense in which God says, over all of human history, it's done. Jesus won't come for uh, a thousand years or more. But in God's view of time, it's done. I've established my son. When uh, Jesus is, is found as a child in Mary's womb, that wasn't a last-minute decision, right? When Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God and ate of this fruit, and as we talked about the fall happened, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit didn't huddle together and go, oh, man, what are we going to do? This is bad. This isn't the plan. No, it's all part of this sovereign, big, holy God plan to rescue rebels and to exalt the name of his son, Christ. And that's what he wants us to see. My son has been established. Uh, My son has been established. The apostle Paul put it like this in uh, Colossians. Colossians 3. Listen, just listen. Colossians 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, again, the passive voice, Christ raises you up. You don't raise yourself up, that's religion. God, how, how much, what should I do to impress you so you'll save me or bless me or whatever it is you want from him? Biblical Christianity says you're dead and God raises you up. Just like he raised his son out of the grave, he raises you and I up. And so Paul says, now that you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For, and this is a mystery, I I wish I could explain this fully, I can't. But Paul writes these words, Colossians 3.3, see, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you come to faith, The old you dies, and the real you, the marvelous, mind-blowing you that is coming when Christ comes, that's waiting with him. See, it's another truth of the scriptures that uh, this is done. When Christ said on the cross, it's finished, uh, that's the kind of thing he was speaking about. It's done. I'm established When you come to faith, you die. You're now hid with me. I'm going to reveal you when I am revealed in glory. So what's Paul's point? Don't get too upset about this world. 
Don't get too upset about what's happening around you. You're not in control of it. You can't fix it. Love those that I put in your sphere around you. Love them well. Love them like I loved you. But I've got this. I've got the big picture. I'm taking history somewhere. So keep an eye on glory. You know, if we thought about your life, if I could put a string tied to that wall and run it across the front of the stage, and that's, that string represents all of human history, okay? So we want to make a mark where your life is. So in the whole line of human history, several thousand years at least, uh, how big a space should I make for your life? Should I mark the string this much? Or maybe this much? Or should I take a really sharp pencil and just do that? That's your life. Your, your life's just a, just a dot on the line of human history. So relax. It's not about you. And you're not a big deal. And it's marvelous that the king of the universe knows you and found you here in Phoenix in 2021, and he's going to give you an inheritance that is so mind-blowing. Don't you love that verse where Paul said, I, I was caught up to heaven, and the things I saw, well, I can't even speak of them. Can't even speak of what I saw, what's coming for those who God loves. Wow, what is that? I remember we uh, took our oldest son to Disneyland for the first time, right? Every parent's uh, great hope, when will we take him to Disneyland? When they're old enough to, and you all take them too early, you know that. I mean, you know, you're going around Disneyland, there's little four-year-olds, and the mom's trying to say, oh, look, it's Mickey. And the little kid's are like, I want to go home. You know, they're, they're too little. But we, we were perfect parents, and so we took our son at the perfect age, what was that, about seven or eight, I guess, something like that. Well, Josh grew up here in the valley, and, and he'd gone to Chuck E. Cheese. Remember Chuck E. Cheese? And the little animatronic guys that, oh, you got your pizza, and the little guys would sing and do stuff. So, so we take Josh into the Magic Kingdom, and we walk him down Main Street, and he hears the music, and we go, look, there's the castle, and over here's Frontierland, and there's Tomorrowland, or, you know... It, and Margie says, Josh, what do you think? And his response was, I thought it was going to be like Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's probably your, your best view of heaven, is a glorified Chuck E. Cheese. And so Paul says, I, I can't even tell you what's coming. So we keep our eyes on glory. We understand uh, who we are in light of the great king. And then here's a truth I don't want us to miss today. Verse 7. So we've got the editorial insight on the nations. They're in rebellion. We, we've heard from the sovereign Lord. Doesn't bother me. They're kind of a joke to me because I've established my son. I don't run a democracy. He's king. Bow to him. And now we hear from the son, the anointed one. You with me? Verse 7. I'll tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll give the nations as your inheritance. The father really loves the son. Uh, John chapter 3 
Jesus says, just listen, John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That's, that's just restating Psalm 2. The Father loves the Son. There's just a couple times when the Father's voice breaks out in the New Testament. One of them is the baptism of Jesus. For example, there in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes into the Jordan. John the Baptist is there. He takes Jesus down into the water. When he brings Jesus out of the water, remember the scene, it, the writer says the heavens opened up. I think what happened is people actually saw for a moment what was invisible. So for a moment, all those folks on the shore watching saw the host of heaven and redeemed saints. I mean, wow, just for a moment. And then they saw the Holy Spirit best they could describe was like a dove coming down on Jesus. And then the father has to say something. He can't hold himself back. And the whole earth must have thundered. I mean, what happens when the father speaks? What is that like? You know, it's not like, well, this is God. No, it, 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 it probably blew. If there were speakers, they were all blown. You know, I mean, this thunderous, like monsoon thunder voice comes out and says, this is my son, Psalm 2. This is my son. In him, now the English we have, in him I am well pleased. That's a little lame. It should say, in him I am so satisfied. He has fulfilled all my hopes for who he would be at this stage as we launch his ministry. I could not be more pleased, more excited with who my son is. The Father says to the world. He, he does it again in the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you know that story where Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, takes them up on a mountain, and suddenly they're surrounded with like heavenly clouds or something, and then they see Elijah and Moses, which says, in heaven we'll recognize each other, we'll know each other, it's who you are. And uh, and Jesus is there, and Peter, who when he's nervous has to say something. Anybody like Peter? You know, you, you get nervous, you have to start talking, and Peter's like that. So Peter says, hey, well, then, <laughs> I'm nervous, this is scary. So, Lord, how about we make three monuments to Elijah, Moses, and you? Seems like a great idea. In fact, we could charge admission and start a little Christian ministry right here. What do you think, Jesus? And the Father's voice comes through and says, uh, Shut up, Peter. No, that's, he doesn't say. But he does say, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, what the father was saying is, there's Elijah, there's Moses, and then there's my son. I mean, he's in a whole different league, Peter. It's not Elijah, Moses, Jesus. It's Jesus, which Peter was still trying to wrap his head around, right, as he's following the Lord. And then, this is what I don't want you to miss this morning. John 15. Jesus says in John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You. Now, live out of my love. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I would say to you, as Paul did in his prayer to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, that's the most important thing you can think about every day. Because your circumstances will argue against it, your past, your own emotions. 
But the truth is, as the Father is delighted in his Son, Jesus is delighted in you. It's his words. And it's that love that fuels your worship, your gratitude, your whole followership is responding to the love of Jesus. So stay there. That's what he said. Remain in that. Come back to that. Don't forget that. You are loved. All right. Last scene. Back to our narrator. So in light of all this, know two things. One, the son is coming to judge, right? You've read Revelation. He's coming back to judge. He comes first to die. He comes back to judge. And so he says, worship him. Worship him. Verse 12. You know, we do a funny thing with worship. You you know, you all leave today and you'll talk about the service and you'll go, how was worship for you? Did you like worship? Is worship for you? (laughs) It's for him. Worship is about what you bring him. What did you say to him? What did you recommit to him? What did you confess to him? We've made worship all about the songs we sing, and I love to sing songs, but, but friend, don't forget, worship is about him. How did you make him great in your heart and mind today? That's worship. How did you bend the knee to him today? That's worship. He loves you. He died for you. He knows you. He's coming back for you. Relax. He's got this world. He's got this country. He's got your life. Rest in the truth that you are known and loved, and he's coming to make everything right. Don't listen to the nations. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great truth that in heaven all is well and you are moving history in the direction that will culminate in the greatness of your son, Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he loved us enough to die for us and loves us enough to keep his eye on us and lead us and teach us, rescue us. Oh, what a savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. That's our hope today. Help us believe it. Help us live in it. All to the greatness of your name. You're the one we worship. Amen.